0: the revolution There's only
1: Welcome to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I am your host, Bernadette Pager, coming to you from Tennessee. But believe me, my my heart has not left Washington. You can love two states. (laughs) I am still, I got one foot planted in each state. Um, and in fact, this whole country, I love fighting for liberty, fighting for lives, truth and justice, scientific integrity and public health policy. And, you know, I'm really feeling good, even though we've got just one thing after another just being absolutely hurled at us. The momentum is growing where people can see um, things coming at them and see them for what they are see the propaganda they don't change the game plan too much when they move from one thing to another and our educated viewers educated citizens are uh, beginning to figure it all out and stand up and group together it's really exciting so um, the next two hours we've got some great conversation going the first hour here we've got uh bob runnels coming on from informed choice washington um bob is uh, at times my right-hand man he is a volunteer um but just he works so very hard um we often use the word tirelessly but people are tired. (laughs) I've always found that people who are labeled, they tirelessly work, they're tired, but they work anyway. And uh, I seem to have lost him. He was here and and now he's not. Oh, there we go. There's Bob. Hey, Bob. Hi. Hi, thank you for joining me here today. Uh, I'll let listeners and viewers know that in the second hour, we're going to be bringing on Rebecca Rogers of the Sparrow Clinic. And so we're going to be going from our conversation today about masks. She'll chime in about her experience and knowledge of masks and then into some good healing protocols and some great information that she knows. She's been in this healing, um, healing and recovery from environmental and iatrogenic injuries for quite a while. And um, I'm very excited to be bringing her on the second hour. Um, So, Bob, I want you and I uh, to go back in time a little bit this hour, because what we're seeing is public health refusing to let go of using masks as a public health tool. And so I would like to go through the journey of where we started and some of our activism and then where we are because I'd like to end up discussing what the heck can we do about it? You know, so that I, you know, we're going to start with a problem and then go to solution here. So I went back to search for, I remember, uh, I'm going to go ahead and find my tab here. There we go. I remember back in 2020 when all of this was all beginning, and they were beginning to require masks in school for school kids, and you know it's so appalling to see kids just be muzzled behind these and and the panic that could set in in some children. it just this just didn't seem like it could be safe to do our hours on end, right? Um, so I wrote to my state representative. Um, Carolyn Eslick at, at the time wrote to her office with a list of questions. There was going to be a um, health committee meeting and they were going to be uh, talking about COVID. And I think Department of Health was going to be there. And I had some questions that I was hoping my representative would ask. Well, it turns out that um, the the questions didn't get put por- forward at that time because um, somebody was on vacation. However, they followed up and they asked the Department of Health my questions anyway. Can you see this? Are you make seeing it the, Make it a little larger for those it All right. I will thank you for that. I will see if it will let me make it bigger. How's that looking? Much better. Yay. Okay. So they kindly wrote back. And, and I tell you, those of you who um, who are sort of new at activism, new at engaging with your elected representatives, this is the sort of stuff that you can do and that they can help you with. The people that we elect, Bob, they work for us. They're supposed to represent our voices. So if we have questions for agencies that are not being responsive to us, you can go to your elected representative and say, hey, I've got these questions. And then they, as our elected representatives can contact, and they can get information at times that agencies don't necessarily want to um, share with the public, at least not in a timely manner. Um, so I went ahead, and, and, and so these are, these are the questions that I put forward. Um, And it was just funny for me to read this in hindsight. What is the Department of Health doing to ensure the effective treatment protocols, including those with nutrients like vitamin C, D, and zinc, are known about and utilized as much as possible to help prevent mild infections from becoming severe and to improve improve outcomes of severe cases? So you'll see that their answer, Bob, was to say... The NIH says that there's no evidence those things are helpful.
2: You know? And what do you... Linus Pauling and vitamin C studies from many decades ago that have shown huge immune immune boosting powers.
1: Exactly. So everything named there, vitamin C, D, and zinc in particular, have decades of research behind them showing how important they are to not only maintain immune health, but how important they are in your body combating viral infections. This is sort of standard-based knowledge. It's sort of like we understand we need good hydration, right? And to deny that, I mean, we were talking, what is this here? This is October of 2020. They had nothing for the general public. Why not say, well, based on the history of what we know about what these new, how important these nutrients are to um, immune function, it wouldn't hurt <laughs> to go ahead and tell people, make sure your nutrients are good, right? But no, they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. They defer to the NIH. And just say, and, and, and in fact, um, we should probably go check a, a little bit later their website and see if the NIH is still saying no evidence, even though a lot of studies have been done, especially in vitamin D in particular. Do you remember, do you recall, like, isn't it like 90, uh, 90% or more of individuals with c- hospitalized cases of COVID um, were low in vitamin D? Huge correlation if not true association, um, is being shown there. Right. And I have to tell you right now, you know, usually I, I, I often have our Dr. Javier on. Um, and then I have to sometimes apologize because sometimes he doesn't get a word in edgewise, Bob. So you're kind of getting the Bernadette treatment where I jump in and I just start talking. So feel free to speak up when you have something because I tend to uh, just rattle. That's, that's
2: fine, Bernadette. You're doing it. <laughs> Okay,
1: so anyway, they just said NIH says there's an insufficient evidence, so they're not going to go there. Um, we won't spend much, any time here. I asked about uh, why are PCR positive tests considered cases, and they just kind of talk nonsense. It's like it's the best we've got. Um, I asked about 55% of the deaths in Washington state had been in long-term facilities, which are known to have high rates of death associated with infections of all sorts acquired while at these facilities? Are the fatality rates overall in these facilities higher than in past years? If so, how much higher? And have fatalities associated fatalities associated with other infections dropped? Well, the Department of Health replied that they do not collect data on fatality rates and long-term Um, care facilities, except for things um, like drug resistant organisms, influenza, and other notifiable conditions. So they just don't have the data. And the reason I asked the question is because there's big concern, and there's actually data now there's a a, a researcher named Genevieve Brigand, who has done some research and posting on one site, showing that there seems to be an awful lot of diagnosis uh, replacement, I think is what they call it, you know, because of how you put deaths down now um, with death certificates that, you know, they're kind of borrowing from somebody who was already dying of kidney failure, dying of um, urinary tract infection. That's a huge one. A lot of people die of unchecked urinary tract infections in these long-term nursing facilities. But they said they don't track that. So, you know, we weren't able to see that diagnostic change. Asked about the CDC guidance filling out death certificates. They just referred us to what I already knew about the death certificates and um, they basically just say here the rules around determining the underlying cause of death are extremely complex and nuanced and the ultimate decision is up to the medical certifier which is really disingenuous and and somewhat um you know just passing it off they 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 just didn't even, Want to go there. I mean, the CDC clearly said if COVID is present, put it on this line, and that line made it the cause of death, right? But they didn't, DOH didn't want to go there. Um, asked about COVID 19 and the effect of the restrictive measures on mental health. Um, and they said they're monitoring it. They're concerned about this too. You know, there. Of course, the way they word it is COVID nineteen, not their COVID nineteen responses. Um, And you know, they offer up things such as a a crisis line. You know, gee, if you've lost your job and and um, you know you've gone bankrupt and you know your kids are having all these uh, these issues, well, here's a hotline you can call. (laughs) You know, just absolute not ownership of the harms they have created um, because of the protocol. So anyway, it's just interesting to go back and look at this. But we're focusing on masks today. So here was my mask question. Are there any studies showing it is safe for anyone to wear a face mask 40 hours a week in a job situation? What about safety studies of children wearing them for many hours a day? How are masks impacting their learning, their emotional development, and their psychological development? Their reply is, in some cultures, many people cover their faces for religious or hygiene reasons, and we are not aware that safety has been an issue to be researched in these cultures. Any comments on that, Bob? (laughs) Oh,
2: I lost you. Taking the easy way out from Take, doing a study. And- yeah.
1: Um, and here's the thing, though I'm going to show you. I already knew when I asked that question. Let me find it here. Uh, do, 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 do. So, um, think, is that the one Did you Search for masks, scientific, there we go. I already knew, we had this post here, Bob, scientific reports of harms caused by face masks. This was February of 2021 when I wrote this post. Um, but you can see here, there was a 2012 study on the effect of face veil on ventilator function among Saudi adult females. And the conclusion of that study was a thirty percent reduced respiratory capacity in women who habitually wore face wore veils. Now, a veil is much more loose than a face mask right it's it's you know you at least have the volume that can of air that can circulate a little bit behind that mask that veil. And, f- and and the DOH said they are n- not aware of any concerns of, for long-term use of face covering. And right there, an eight-year-old study, seven-year-old study that they did not know about. Um, very concerning. And then we go on. Sorry, this is a little bit jumpy. Um, let's stop the screen chair. So we're going to go back and look a little bit more at their at their answer about uh, masking here. And it says, on the job safety is the responsibility of the Department of Labor and Industries. LNI currently requires the use of face coverings for workers who are not working alone because wearing a face covering is clearly safer than not wearing one. Clearly, they said, it was clearly safer. No science, just (laughs) it's clearly safer. So infuriating. Um, then they go on to say, similarly, we believe, believe that children learn better in school. Oh, well, we actually believe that too. And a face covering is one important way to make schools safer. There are safety myths circulating that have been satisfactorily debunked. Cloth face covering should not uncomfortably restrict breathing, They do not change a person's oxygen or carbon dioxide levels. Here's a link to a recent study, and we can pull that up if you want. They do not have a harmful impact on the immune system and do not cause infection. Occasionally, someone may experience skin irritations or breakouts, maskne, which can be prevented by making sure the face covering is dry and fits appropriately. There's just so much wrong um, let's see if this goes over. Did did it flip over to where I went to the study they cite? Let's see if it goes there. Oh, yay! It did. Yeah. Try to make that a little bit bigger if I can. Not sure if it'll do that. But this is, you know, they they grabbed 15 people who were healthy and 15 people who had, you know, some sort of chronic um, pulmonary issue. And they did some tests and they measured them at five minutes and at 30 minutes. And, you know, they, you know, it was not a real world setting. Um, And it even says, let's see, increased temperature. I encourage people can can go read it for yourself, but absolutely not a real world setting. Um, But they did find that the discomfort felt with surgical masks, it ascribed to neurological reactions, increased afferent impulses. Uh, let's see what else. psychological phenomenon, such as anxiety, claustrophobia. So they're discounting that anxiety and claustrophobia are important neurological health issues. The DOH, apparently. Um, it's OK that your children are anxious and uncomfortable. Um But look at this, Bob, these findings are in contrast to the use of N95 masks in which carbon dioxide tension and partial pressure may increase in lung healthy users, but without major physiologic burden. Of course, this is for short periods of time. They're not putting these on people. Um, So what's important here, now in July, 2022, is we've got Tony Fauci saying, well, yeah, the cloth cloth mats might not be of any help. You really need a well-fitting um, N95. So that study that the DOH cited in 2020 clearly states that N95s do restrict your breathing, right? Um, but... It's beginning to be pushed on our children. So this has got to end. <laughs> it's got to end for everybody, right? Um, the whole thing is just so absurd to me. And the reason I keep harping on it and why I'm bringing it back is because we all experienced at the beginning of COVID that the, the, the control and compliance all began with a training with the masks, right? We had we had people um, who didn't believe in the masks, who went along to get along who thought it's just a mask. It's no big deal. I'm going to put it on. I I think it's stupid. I don't think it works. It's uncomfortable. But I don't want to stand up and get in trouble and defy the mandates. So they went along to get along. And an entire infrastructure of you do what we say. We're going to lie about the science. We don't care about the harm. It's emergency used authorized. Therefore, you can't hold us accountable if you're harmed by it, right? People forget that masks are still under emergency use authorization.
2: I was going to try to bring that up. You discovered that for our group. You had to dig, dig, dig to find the actual document that yeah. specifies masks are EUA.
1: Masks are in EUA when worn by the general public. Um, and they're only supposed to be a source control, meaning if you're sick, to keep you from um, spreading droplets, it cannot stop the virus. If it the aerosolized virus, it's too small. But it um, potentially a sneeze or a cough. But you know, we get into the whole logistics of okay, it might be catching some of the droplets. But you cough or sneeze, this mask is now filthy and contaminated. Is a seven year old going to go change it? Are they not going to? They're going to prohibit themselves from touching it. Masks, if worn to prevent the spread of infection, have to be changed every time they're sneezed or coughed upon. They can't be touched. You have to carefully remove them by the ear loops. <laughs> um, you have to change them whenever they get damp because then they become very porous. You can't just take them off and set them down on your desk. I mean, the whole thing is just, yeah. So they're still under emergency use authorization. So I'm wondering if in states where there's no emergency, I guess because the EUA is at the federal level, can you still not sue? It's probably be.
2: It's still covered under the pandemic uh, measures. It's a general measure to battle the pandemic. And so it's covered. You can have tongue depressors. You can have anything that might be considered slightly a medical intervention is covered under the PrEP Act.
1: That's, well, it, it is yes and no. If, if the, Um, the NIH includes it under their umbrella, I think that they have to specify if it's covered because they specified Paxlovid and Remdesivir and the COVID shots, but they outright refuse to specify ivermectin, right? Even though it's a licensed FDA drug, long history of safety, all this stuff, they refuse to, and vitamin D, they aren't including it as a covered countermeasure i think that they have to name it as a covered countermeasure
3: okay
1: Um, you know in order for it to get covered which is why you know the hospitals are not they just won't even go there it it cuts off the funding because they're not doing the things that are covered so um yeah so maybe that might be one approach bob is when an eua is granted emergency use authorization the, the government claims, the FDA claims, or who, I forget that, I think it's the FDA, that the known risks of that intervention are outweighed, uh, wait, the, the benefits outweigh the known risks or potential risks. But now in 2022, we have so many studies to show how harmful it is, especially to mask up children, that the EOA needs to be pulled. Maybe that's what we need to be working on is getting EUA pulled. Um, you should never mask a child. They shouldn't mask anybody. They don't work. They they don't do it. But, you know, um, if we chip away at this, at least remove it for. Now, let's just get it removed altogether.
2: <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice. The thing I get stuck with is with that, uh, with, with children in general, they're such an unsusceptible group that, it's hard to believe that you're doing much to control the outbreak and the reinfection at that age group.
1: Well, we know exactly. And especially, I mean, under the best conditions um, in order for a mass to have any impact on controlling the spread of infection, it would have to be an N95. It would have to be used in very limited situations it would have to be changed like every half hour it would have to be tight fitting you'd never be able to touch it in order for these masks to actually be effective there's one absurd study that the powers that be that want people to mask up did where in a lab setting um with with surgical masks and cloth masks, they actually like sealed around their imitation breathers they sealed it you know, like, okay, let's as- totally asphyxiate asphyxiate our eight-year-olds by taping this thing around them. I mean, it, it, no real life situations, right? Oh my goodness. Um, well,
2: I agree. Yeah. It would be nice if we never had to do this again. If there was a set of defenses, a rational uh, scientific defense against masking, especially masking the children, really thought and fall of 21 that we had a chance to get the kids out of masks Yeah, in our state and maybe even across the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I think we need to go for it because, like I said, some people say, oh, it's just a mask. It's better than a shot. No, it is not, because it's all about <laughs> obedience, compliance, and doing something that is unscientific and just pure control. And we cannot allow that. A free society cannot allow itself to be bullied. It just, if you're going to, that coercion cannot take place. We can't have public health bullying us. So let's go ahead and look at um, some of the, what did I have one more thing I wanted to share with you? About in particular. Oh, yeah! One of the things before we go there, I want to remind um, you and our and this will be new to some of our viewers of uh, of other work we were doing in 2020. Um, and so we had petitioned the Washington State Board of Health to convene a committee of healthcare practitioners who were having success with COVID. Uh, to get together in a public venue way where they could share information. And this information about these effective treatment protocols could be disseminated um, to healthcare practitioners in Washington state and to the public to help ease fear. Sounds logical, right? Uh, And in fact, um, the board of health agreed and so did the secretary of health. Um, But they wrote back that they couldn't do it because it was outside their scope of work. Um, And then we argued that, no, it is in your scope of work. And in these times when unprecedented steps are being taken, you need to take this unprecedented step. You know, it is within the description of who you individuals are. And they told us that the, this belonged in the federal go- government's hands, that, no, the Fed should do this. Great idea, informed choice Washington, but, you know, the federal government should do it. So we wrote back and, you know, give them some arguments. But what's really frustrating, Bob, as you well know, you, you write to these agencies, these public agencies that are supposed to work for us they declare we can't do anything we don't want to do anything or they point to heaven above which they're heaven right they point to their god the cdc the nih and they say sorry hands are tied we just do what they say it's infuriating where's the checks and balances and it feels like you know there are times when we file petitions with the Board of Health, got denied and went to the governor's office, and then we got shot down because science, even though they have no science, we gave them the science that should show they need to change their ways. Um, checks and balances. That's what we need in public health. We need, to, we need a forum. We need something outside of the system, some way for citizens to hold their public health agencies and other governmental um, bodies accountable for their actions. This is entering an area of, of, I guess, government law, state setup that I'm not really familiar with. Some states have um, some sort of Oversight agencies that you can um, sort of like like we've got an A, we've got an attorney general, but the attorney general won't turn its camera around and examine itself. So other states have things that you can more petition that have the ability to then go audit. Um, and, and that's something that I think we need to look at. There is this um, movement called Tactical Civics. Have you heard of that? Is that something we've discussed? I've heard of
2: it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, didn't we have a uh, a speaker come to teach us about some tactical civics?
1: Uh, In one of our ICWA meetings, possibly.
2: In uh, Chelan County.
1: Oh, you could have. It's... It's possible. Yeah, oh, no, that wasn't Tactical Civics. That no. was how to be an effective um, advocate.
2: I forget um, the name of that organization.
1: Yeah, that's a really good organization that teaches you effective techniques to, to help be heard as an advocate for your cause. That was very good. Tactical Civics. Um, I think it's tacticalcivics.com is this whole approach to bringing um to getting people power back into the system, to bringing, um, we the people, back into some control of what's going on, and it what it does is help restore what's the the original grand jury system, a grand jury of and for the people that has the ability to um, investigate departments of health. Sheriff's departments, police departments, legislators, anybody within their county. These are county level grand juries. And um, and then it helps restore that voice of the people in a way that has teeth. So, for instance, these petitions you and I are just talking about and these interactions we've had with the Department of Health and the Board of Health that got nowhere. That have the ability, we hit the ceiling, <laughs> you hit the governor's office shot down and then then what? So if we had a grand jury system of for the people where you could actually move toward a civil or criminal investigation where you'd have your day before a jury, we might actually be able to impact change within the system. It's a way of restoring our existing system back to its true intent of serving the people. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: well, in Washington, we do have an auditor's office, but I sense that it's fairly partisan, and their scope, their breadth of ability to look across the different departments, is is highly constrained by either the legislature, like maybe a committee, yeah. has to authorize their research and their audits. Yeah, um, very. Maybe it's a very small office too, but I don't think it has much teeth, and we've seen it in action a little bit, and they fell short of my expectations.
1: Yes, yes. In 2019, I was actually asked to um, to be interviewed by the auditor's office. They were looking at I can't remember specifically about the school uh, um, school data, vaccination data um, information. And this was when the measles was going on. And in fact, I believe um, kind of our dream team was here about the time I I remember doing the interview in a hotel room. (laughs) I try to think, I think Dr. James Lyons Weiler was there at the time. I don't remember if Del Bigtree was there. Um, But it didn't have the results I hoped for. I gave a whole lot of information about our concerns about data collection. Data abuse, the, the stuff our wonderful Carl Cantac digs into, who does such a great job showing that, you know, how the data is manipulated to to make things look urgent um, and lower than they are. Um, but it didn't it ended up not going anywhere. And I, I I should have Carl on again soon. In fact, Carl's got some really good things he's been working on. And I have been meaning to try to get him on the show to get us um Up to date. Carl's a great data guy who looks, he can look really closely at what these agencies are doing and how they're able to skew the truth and manipulate the data to achieve their end goals. You know, and what's what is really funny is what he revealed happened here, it's happening in all the states. And so he can go to another state and say, wait a minute, look over here. And they'll go, holy cow, what are they doing? It's like, well, because we've seen this played in six, eight, ten other states. So, yeah, this is the game that they play. And and then the the, um, legislators are just infuriated because they feel like they've been tricked. And they have been. So anyway, so, yeah, a lot we can tactical civics. Look into that. Tacticalcivics.com grand jury system is part of that to try to get we the people's voice. Give us some power to, to stop some of the fraud and corruption going on. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so about, go ahead.
2: So I was just going to chime in with a little bit of, uh, context, I guess, in that uh, sure there's a pandemic, it was declared and early on the states of emergency were called by various states. Ours is still in place. 20 5 emergency order by the governor is still in place re- regarding a health state of emergency. And, 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 there's been no check and balance on that. There's been no check and balance on that. This is completely against the intent of the what I think the Washington State Code, the RCW, was actually written for in terms of the emergency powers by a governor. A lot of the legislators in the minority, though, have voiced their opinions. And even, I don't know how genuine it was, but even the majority started a bill to limit the governor's powers to revise that part of our state laws, because this is to me, a complete excess and abuse of, people are going to football games. You have 50,000 people in football stadiums. How is that a state of emergency?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: um... There's been effort on that. I I don't know where else to keep pushing. There are initiatives that were in work in here in the state to, to get that emergency powers back into a more reasonable state of affairs. And, and that's one thing that would help with that. But there's always the science that can be brought up. And I think you're going to get to some of the newer studies that have been published in the last couple months.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, one of my favorite place places to share. Oh, but before we go there, I just got to say real quick, and I want to end with it. We don't endorse candidates in Formed Choice Washington, but... Th- Step number one to really help with all of the issues we're talking about here today is we need people who stand for medical freedom to be voted into office. Go to StandForHealthFreedom.com. They've got a voter's guide, right? We Step number one, you need people in office who will listen to these issues, who will listen to the science, and who will pass good bills and who will support good initiatives, um, and really bring scientific integrity back into our laws and then you know work with us to get these things done. So here we go with uh, brownstone.org. I love this organization. You can look up all sorts of COVID-related re- um, topics and the in-depth articles fully linked. I'm going to go ahead and And show this one, even though it's back in 2021, December of 21, um, just to show you the volume. And look at this, Bob. I know you're aware of this, but it's all here to hyperlink. It's not just, gosh, uh, we believe uh, masks don't harm. Uh, You know, no. Here, we've got the science of whether they're effective or safe. Neither of them um, are, and it just goes on and on. This this particular article from 2021 was when this one was last updated. They were already up to 150 studies, um, you know, and for medical boards. And right now, we've got what the um, the board of internal medicine. Uh, that, that gives certification for, for doctors for internal medicine to still be threatening doctors who say that masks don't prevent the spread of infection and that mask wearing on many people is dangerous, for them to still be threatening them in the presence of the science really shows um, that those entities don't have health as their primary objective. Look at that. It just goes on and on. I'm not going to scroll through um, the whole thing on here, but I'm going to go back to, I think one of the ones in particular that you've been talking about um, lately, Bob, has been this one, more evidence from the UK that masks don't work. Is this the one that you are, um, that you were talking about? The one by... um...
2: No, I've got two other studies. uh... Okay. That have been in the news recently. There's a North Dakota adjacent school district study that shows a a lack of uh, efficacy or lack of effectiveness in terms of changing any of the case rates. And then uh, there's another one that was highlighted recently. It was all of Europe, I believe, all of uh, Western Europe. Do
1: you have those to share? Are you able to share? I
2: have some links that I can provide. I got it ready for our after notes.
1: Oh, okay. If you drop those no, in the chat,
4: I can, give me a I can,
1: yeah, and drop them in the chat, and I can, I can pull them up on my side, maybe, okay. um, to show those. I but the sign. Go ahead. You
2: come across these.
1: Yeah. So um, while you do that, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and find if I can here real quick the dangers of masks um, for children. Let me go pull that up because it just so appalls me the the offhand manner in which, gosh, no, you know, we we never heard of anything being dangerous. You know, women in some cultures wear veils all the time, and we don't know that. You know, for them to continually mask and then just ignore, and and the study that they the DOH cited actually says that there are neurological um. You know, not not just the physiologic physiological of, of you know, getting too much carbon dioxide, breathing in your own bacteria. Let's set that aside, but the emotional development, neurological, you know, the study they cite acknowledged there may be these harms. and and they still um, they still ignore them. So I just want to peek at that one real quick. So for listeners and viewers, Uh, brownstone.org again is where a great place to find many many articles from all and and links to the science so how dangerous are masks for children and it it goes on and it talks about let me see if i can bring a very recent 2022 british publication focused on polypropylene that's a component of the face masks and reported that such microplastics were identified in all regions of human lungs using their what is that micro ftir analysis furthermore polypropylene and polyethylene terephthalate fibers were the most abundant so they found when they looked at um people's lungs that for the first time they're finding all these uh, microplastic particles in their lungs. Um, there are also reports of toxic mold, fungi, bacteria, uh, graphene. Um, and I apologize if I'm, I, I am pulling words and sentences out of context here. So if I'm not citing it exactly to to the whole article, I apologize. I just, I don't want to read the whole thing through. I encourage you to, but just to give you an idea of, of the health risks that children are experiencing and, the, and that's that's physical harm. And I really think, Bob, that it's the emotional, psychological, developmental harm that is so concerning, you know? Um, so there are your studies, which one do you, um, are any of the ones that you pulled up? It's This is just about whether or not they're effective, is that correct?
2: Right, there was a recent one too that went over the uh, the actual uh, microbes that are growing inside these masks, both inside and out. Wow, uh, that's not in this list. Um, and actually, one of the links there is not. Um, okay, I'm going to exactly pull up that that yeah. that
1: uh, South Dakota study or North Dakota study. Let's yeah, see. that's What's the last
2: that? one I just put in there. Yeah, let's... experiment has an overview of that North Dakota. Yeah.
1: Study. So tell us about this study,
2: Bob. So two school districts in North Dakota had varying policies, uh, mask mandates inside the schools. Their, uh, in fact, the study time period even involved uh, kind of shifted mandate timeframes so that one school district would have the mask mandate in place, the other one would not, and they would actually change the policy in the time frame that they did the study. And so, I mean, that... that shows you that there were some variables inside of that time frame, And they, I'll just summarize the results that the association between the school mask mandates and SARS-CoV-2 student infections, uh, there was a lack of significant difference. This is as much as they could get out of the study, the lack of significant difference between the districts. And it persisted after this partial crossover of uh, the different policies. And so I think the, the infection rate was like 13% and then 12.9% over the time period in both districts. Wow. And so, again, nothing significant in terms of did the mask policy have any effect?
5: Mm-hmm. Well, there
1: we go. And, and this is one of just the latest of the studies showing that in schools, it makes no difference, which means that these masks are all risk. All risk. I mean, the children having difficulty with learning, you know, having speech delay, um, just uh, learning delay, uh, social interaction delays. There's just so much harm going on. And I can't imagine what it feels like to be a kid growing up in an environment that's so fearful that, you know, put on a mask. I just so wrong yeah.
2: and so the, the first link I gave you is the European study that's recently come out and they looked over a long long period of time they compared masking policies across all different countries in Western Europe. And, okay and, and we can see well, uh, we can talk about their their conclusions okay. Uh, There were no cause and effect conclusions that could be inferred from the observational analysis. And I'm reading from the summary. I'm paraphrasing the summary. Okay. But the lack of negative correlations between mask usage and COVID-19 cases and deaths suggests that the widespread use of masks at a time when an effective intervention was most needed was not able to reduce COVID-19 transmission. So they're talking about, they wanted to see negative correlation. They wanted to see masks go on case and death goes down. Mm-hmm. They did not see that in any of the data from October of 2020. And for memory's sake, that's just about the time the vaccine was about to roll out. So nobody's been injected yet in October 2020. Mm-hmm. And then March 2021 is the end of the time frame. So people are starting to get injected. So the, the vaccine may have a little bit of an effect. Vaccines, I should say, Europe had a lot of AstraZeneca. But the, the March 2021 di- time frame uptake of the vaccine was pretty low still. So this is wow. really a mass study time frame.
1: That's and very so significant.
2: On. Yeah, I, th- I thought so. And really, it was a broad study. This is probably the most broad set of data across many different regions. Many different you know, country borders in Europe are a little more controlled than our state borders here in the U.S. And so they each each. Jurisdiction, each country becomes a pretty good data set to compare to other countries, and they compare all of them. And so they went on with one more conclusion here. Um, the moderate positive correlation between mask usage and deaths in Western Europe suggests that universal use of masks may have had harmful, unintended consequences. Oh, goodness. I am quoting from their conclusions. I'm going to go
1: back to that
2: harmful unintended consequences.
1: Let's go back. Um, There we go, Uh, right there. Moreover, the moderate positive correlation between mask usage and deaths in Western Europe also suggests that the universal use of masks may have had harmful unintended consequences, you bet. Now, we have heard it speculated, Bob, probably more than speculated Um, doctors and scientists have explained some of the reasons why um, masks may increase your risk of death. And in fact, I remember one of the studies very early on um, was actually somewhat honest. It was interesting. They were trying to figure out how they could support mask mandates, but get around, get around doing the most harm to the most vulnerable and and this particular study suggested that people who are at high risk for um, severe outcome to COVID not wear masks because the mask would increase their likelihood of catching COVID. And then, because of the increased volume of uh, viral load that they would get because of the risk, you know, how it holds to your face, um, it would increase their risk of more severe COVID. I'll, I'll have to dig up that study. That was one that was really early on. We've got an article somewhere on our website about that one. Um, but of course, that wasn't heated. They were putting masks on everybody. And
2: uh, yeah. well, it's kind of the opposite of what you're going to talk about with your next guest uh, with hyperbaric oxygen. You're infusing oxygen into the body to heal it in a deep mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. when you're having children and people in general rebreathe their own CO2 and you're not getting the right stuff into the body. You're not getting the right gas uh, that we live on and have to have into the body to, to affect a natural and healthy uh, immune system. Yeah.
1: And a lot of the studies are showing it's, it's, it's a combination of things. Um, You've got more of the carbon, uh, Monoxide, is it monoxide Yeah, monoxide going in, uh restricted breathing. You've you you've got, we had a chiropractor on here who recently uh it's been a while, I need to have him back on again, who described actually the physical that the the physical feel of the mask on your face does something to your brain and that it tries to counter it. And um and it's negative. I can't I apologize that I can't remember this, but it it was quite alarming. Um, And then the fact that you might be growing bacteria on there, you are keeping any viral load that you would have been expelling out there, you're keeping it closer to your face. There's so many things, so many mechanisms that that mask impairs. And what our public health agencies and the whole attitude of public health about infectious disease is that no infection is good that you have to fear getting any infection instead of looking with common sense and say, cause we know the studies have clearly shown <clears throat> natural immunity to be superior. Of course you want a mild case. And if you are exposed to just a, a, a smaller amount of virus <clears throat> your body can deal with that better than if you get a whopping great big load <laughs> of virus. And <clears throat> But they refuse to acknowledge that for, for most people, I, I dare say in the case of COVID because of the, the shots are so dangerous and ineffective, um, that all people would be better off if they, if they brought in all these early treatments and these supportive protocols in advance so that they could reduce their viral load as much as possible. So that they had a mild case and yet reaped the benefits of natural immunity. But there's no give and take. Public health never will admit that it was good that anybody ever got COVID or the measles or anything else that they want to target with a shot. And now we've got monkeypox coming along and they're not going to, you know, there won't be any common sense direction. No vitamin D, vitamin C, no. Any other steps, it's like, go ahead and um, and get the shot. And I can tell Bernadette has rambled. We got one minute to go. <laughs> um, all right, Bob. Well, are you going to stick around, I hope, in the next hour with our new? Yeah, our I sure left? can.
2: Yeah, if I have anything to say, I'll chime in.
1: That's, that's like wonderful. Yep. Yeah. So thank you for bringing us these references. Um, we will post them on our website, on the news and views uh, next week, if you want to look for those. So everybody, we're going to take a break. Uh, stay tuned. Um, you've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back in a few minutes.
3: Livers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day. Then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com.
1: During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org.
2: Org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life radio and visit the website informedchoice.org. Wa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.
0: We need a revolution There's only one solution
1: Welcome back to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Bob Reynolds, also of Informed Choice Washington. So glad to have you as my sidekick today, Bob.
2: Happy to be here, Bernadette.
1: <laughs> so I was just, uh, just before we we bring in our next guest, I wanted to... Tell you that I just peeked over at the Washington State Department of Health website to see what they're putting up about masks, but they they still are not admitting any dangers. They're still just towing the line, doing whatever um, is coming down from above. Um, Just such a clear example of why we have to instill checks and balances into the public health system. Um, We're going to get her done. It's a big job. (laughs) We'll get her done. Um, So I'm so glad you got to stay on because our our guest this second hour is Rebecca Rogers, who is the CEO and director of the Sparrow Clinic in Alabama. Hi, Rebecca. Let's see if we can hear you. I can't hear you. Oh, well, we can hear you. So um, let's see. Now we can hear you, but she can't hear us. Maybe our engineer can help a little bit. So, I don't, I'm trying to tell her. There we go. Hi. Hi. There she is. Hi, Rebecca. (laughs) Um, Welcome to an Informed Life radio. This is Bob Reynolds. He's one of my awesome uh, volunteers with Informed Choice Washington.
5: Oh, it's nice to meet you, Bob. It's nice, nice to see your face.
2: Nice to see you, Rebecca.
5: You too, Bernadette. You always have that beautiful smile. Oh, you are so sweet. Um,
1: I had the honor and pleasure of meeting Rebecca um, recently at an event uh, close to Nashville and, you know, it's, it's amazing the overlap of community in the medical freedom, informed consent movement, this healing movement, all these people who really want what's best for individual and public health. We just have an approach that is so different from public health. (laughs) And yeah, and we have, you know, friends in common and we're so excited about sort of trying to help our friends and, and, and come together. Um, before One of the first things I want to talk about, I've got a, a kind of a list of things I wanted to talk to you about, Rebecca. But before we begin, you've got a really amazing journey that led you where you are today. And it, it's about your son. Can, can you talk about that?
5: Yes. And it's still one of those things that I would not have chosen. You know, it's kind of like it chose us and now we are on this journey that my son had an autoimmune disease that doctors said would never heal. So it changed our entire lives. Western medicine just said, you might as well get accustomed to this. There's nothing we can do. And as a mom or as a, you know, as as a family member, no matter what your relation, there's just, that's just not an acceptable answer. So, so many times and prior to that, I allowed the doctors to be the end all be all. Whatever they said was naturally best, right? You know, that's just, I wasn't informed, you know. So I could go back. I wished I could go back and redo that, but I can't. And it's like my grandmother always taught me. She goes, Rebecca, you do what you know is best until you know better. Well, every day I learn a little bit better. And as a parent, You know, it was like, get these vaccines, do this, do that. And I thought I was doing what was best for my child. Turns out that was not the case. And Will developed an autoimmune disease that doctors said would never heal. We went on our own on her healing journey. I went back and studied natural medicine. I became a stem cell tech. We studied stem cells. We looked at all these different things. I was able to speak with some of the world leaders in stem cells, learn right things to do what I thought was right, what was wrong and I know necessarily you're not supposed to bargain with God, however, <laughs> I just this thing in my spirit and it was like if you'll just heal my child I have a responsibility to help others God was faithful just like he always is and my son sees things today that doctors regular western medicine said would never happen and we've met the most amazing people that have been told the same thing mm-hmm. along the journey and it's uh, it's the hardest best job you'll ever have that's that is so
1: exciting and on the website um, which is sparrowclinic.com, your son writes about his experience and his journey and you know it's it's alopecia, the um, hair loss
5: Universalis the hair all over his body.
1: he lost all the hair on his body and I can't help but think and which has been what 95 percent restored right?
5: or more
1: by now (laughs) or more um the young man you know is no longer fighting it i mean and there's photographs there of him you know completely bald and Mm -hmm. and and then with a gorgeous set of hair and it was thanks to this mama bears activity but i can't help but think about will smith and the famous slap at the oscars which was brought to you by pfizer and and um (sighs) will smith's wife who got alopecia after the shot, which was brought to you by Pfizer and Pfizer having just spent like a billion dollars buying a product to treat alopecia. Um, So now obviously your son experienced this prior to the COVID shots, but have you seen anywhere in the literature, it wouldn't surprise me to know that alopecia has been a side effect, maybe more rare from other Um, routine vaccinations that are given. Do you associate the two?
5: Yes, absolutely. And if you take the time to dig, which I didn't prior to Will receiving any vaccines, unfortunately, um, yes, it is a side effect that's listed and it is not always rare. It's never connected, but it is not always rare, just like so many other things. Mm -hmm. And autoimmune disease is labeled by symptom and it's labeled by the type of autoimmune disease is labeled by symptom. So insurance will pay for Mm. the biologic or whatever it is that's needed. All autoimmune disease begins with inflammation, just like any other disease. Uh, It all starts with inflammation and different things trigger that inflammation and it is expressed differently in different people however all autoimmune disease and our belief is triggered by inflammation it's just expressing itself differently
1: wow okay now i'm going to segue a little bit i want to return to that right there with all the healing protocols that you have researched but our last hour we were talking about face masks and going through the history of what informed choice washington has tried to do, to try to have dialogue with the Department of Health, um, and they just insist on staying on their path of masking up, sometimes yes, sometimes no, I mean, as far as what the the policy is, um, but never acknowledging the dangers or the current science. What you, in your experience with the Sparrow Clinic, with individuals, what are your thoughts and science and everything? What do you know about face masks?
5: Well, if you follow the real science that has uncorrupted data behind it, we all know and Tony Fauci knew because he, at the beginning, he said face masks do not work. We know that they do not work. In fact, those who have, in our experience, those who have been masked are seeing more infections. They're seeing depression. They're seeing things that they didn't see before because we all know it weakens your immune system. You're holding the petri dish on your face, the exact place where they say you should not be touching, pulling. Um, that the germ, keep those germs away from your face. Well, we're trapping them and holding them in our face. Exactly. I mean, that's it. In a nutshell,
1: common sense. I feel like you know. Bob, not to leave dads out of this, because you're an awesome common sense dad, but it's like we need this federal level of mama bears who have common sense, who just say, that's just stupid. It's a stupid thing to do. I mean, you common sense tells you this will not work, especially for children and how they would wear them and need to be, they'd be touching them and, you know, the absurdity of it. That's what we need to instill in in the public health system is a mama bear checks and balance
2: and against uh, against uh nih director who says well it just makes sense to if you wear one mask two masks should be better Yeah. oh that makes sense where's the study please
1: Let's let's triple it up. Oh, I've got some. um, So you were let's NIAID Tony Fauci, the NIH director, Francis Collins, who like stepped aside now, but he one of the things I don't, I don't have the exact quote, but um, Rebecca, this will probably appall you if you never had heard it. But he actually said that has written he had publications that that Jesus wants you to put on a mask and get a shot.
5: Oh, I did see that. And it appalled me just about as much as Jensen Franklin saying Jesus would get a vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Jesus would never get a vaccine that had been tested with aborted fetus cells. So I'm sorry. Take a check there and right. check your sources because nowhere do I see those two things align.
1: No. And I, you know. Jesus wouldn't either, you know, look at the at something at the, the lack of testing and what it does. I mean, you know, I don't have a degree in, in medicine or science, but common sense tells you if you inject something in an in individual that tells their own cells to make something and you're trying to trigger your body to attack something your body is making, the reaction is going to be autoimmune in nature. And, you know, I mean, it's just. And, and here we're seeing massive problems, right, with especially because it's the spike protein. Um, anyway, let's we're, we're not going to go there. We're going to go positive <laughs> here. So thank you for your input. I mean, it, really, that's all we need to know. Um, you're in agreement completely that it's ridiculous to, to do this to people far more harm than any potential good could be. Only wear an N95 if you're standing over an open body and you're a surgeon and you just want to make sure either you don't sneeze into the body cavity or the body cavity doesn't squirt blood onto your face. I mean, those are like the two things that you might want to be face masking for, but not for viral infection. Um, so let's go back to inflammation as the root cause of all illness that, as you said, then manifests for everybody with different symptoms. but it begins with some environmental or iatrogenic. and iatrogenic is a fancy word that just means um, medically induced, a medicine you took, an injection you, you got, um, injury that led to something. So
5: let's go from there. Well, inflammation, as you guys know, inherently is not bad. We need inflammation to signal for our stem cells to come do the job that the body was designed to do. However, too much inflammation, and it gets so loud. And I use this analogy, and I know you guys already know this, but I use the analogy because they're like, how do stem cells work? Why do they work the way they do? And and think about it. Sometimes there's so much noise in a crowd, you can't hear the person that's calling you. So the person you're with may be on the other side of the room, but there's so much noise in the room, you can't hear to get to them. That's the way inflammation in the body works. There's so much inflammation that the cells that are there that are good cannot hear where to go to start the repair Mm. so it's overwhelming to the body to even know where to begin and then it just manifests and it just starts getting worse and worse and worse and then we start doing things to try to tame the inflammation that actually undermine and cause and create more inflammation so it's a it's a vicious cycle that our body gets into for various reasons, and it just makes it a, a a cyclical issue because it creates more and more inflammation. The things we try to do, uh, whether it be a medicine, an injection, a biologic, our diet, environmental, whatever it is, just creates this massive tidal wave of inflammation in the body.
1: Okay. Okay. So then what... Can we do about it? And we're talking about functional medicine approaches. Would that be the right way to describe it?
5: Yes. And I have to disclosure, I have full disclosure, I have to say, I am not a medical doctor. Yes. And always check with your doctor for things that are right with you. But make sure you get a doctor that uses that common sense that Bernadette uh, referred to. Do your own research, ask questions. But there are lots of things that you can do. And Some of them do not cost any money because a lot of times the finances are an impediment to what we can do. But you know, there are four easy things that just four simple, easy things that cost you no money that you can start to fight inflammation. So reset your circadian rhythms. Uh, That's really hard and easy to do, but it costs you no money. Start turning down uh, the lights two hours before bed, turn off or lower your blue light. Use LED red lights to help ease your body. You know, humans were designed to go to bed. Our circadian rhythms are naturally set to start going to bed as the sun goes down. You start preparing. It signals the body to start go, getting prepared to rest. Then as the sun comes up, it's slowly awaking our body to start the day. And those are ways to. they are natural ways you can circuit, reset your circadian rhythms. Wear blue light glasses when you work on a computer. Uh, don't use artificial lighting. Lighting. Get out in the sun, uh, and then so that's one of the ways.
1: Um, yep. Rebecca,
5: before you move forward on that, yes. could you
1: could you give one example that, that I know of? to bring it just a little bit deeper, when you reset your circadian rhythm, you increase your melatonin. And melatonin has been found to um, helpful in avoiding or healing cancer, Um, COVID-19, so many other things. So when you're talking about restoring these rhythms, it's not just to have a nice um, balance of of sleep to wake ratio. We're talking about biological
5: chemistry that happens when you do this absolutely and with that your your cells are restoring while you sleep and they cannot make healthy cells if they're not getting rest they can't do the repair they need they can't attack that inflammation in your body and the person who wakes up between one and three in the morning typically that's when their liver is repairing and if you're waking up regularly between one and three, there can be an emotional component. There can be an inflammation a c- component. There can be a liver overload component. Your doctor needs to be working on those things. If you wake up consistently between three and five, you know that's associated with your lungs and grieving. And this is a respirator- respiratory illnesses. So there are lots of different questions that go into functional medicine to getting to the root cause of, why you're waking up at certain times. And previously, I would always wake up between one and three. Before functional medicine, I didn't know that that was why I was waking up. But I had a congested liver. And as we started working on that, I didn't have that issue anymore. Wow, that's really exciting to
1: hear. Now, when you say waking up, is it and not able to go back to sleep for a length of time? Or is it just getting up and having to, you know, Use the restroom.
5: <laughs> it depends on a lot of things. It's not a one. It's just like medicine. It's not a one size fits all. But if you're waking up consistently, a lot of times it's not you're waking up to go to the bathroom. It's you're going to the bathroom while you are awake. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, sometimes it is. I wake up. I have to go to the restroom. I drink a lot of water, whatever it may be. But a lot of times you're like, I'm awake. I might as well go get a drink of water. I might, might as well go to the bathroom, whatever it is. But if you're consistently waking up at a certain time, that that employs a reason for discovery of why.
1: That is exciting to me. That's a whole area of of research I've never explored. I'm excited to look into that. Thank you for that. OK.
5: The other could be intermittent fasting. That doesn't cost you. anything. That's We've talked a- about that a lot. Yeah. intermittent fasting and you find the intermittent fasting that works well for you. So for me, I typically will get up, I'll drink a full glass of water, not cold, not hot. I'll drink a full glass of water because you're dehydrated when you wake up. So it's like telling yourselves to wake up. Then I do not have anything to eat until 10 and I'll have a whole food or uh, a superfood smoothie at 10 o'clock. I don't have anything to eat before ten, so I've gone all the way from dinner, sometimes a snack, uh, till ten o'clock the next morning with intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting alone can reset your immune system and help you start producing healthy cells. Diabetics do really typically do really well with it. Any type of autoimmune disease typically does, and it's just generally healthier for our body. Our fourth, our ancestors were not. Um, Typically, they didn't wake up and eat breakfast at 8, lunch at 12, and dinner at 6. They got up, they started to work, and they, they couldn't eat until they... You know, gathered or hunted what they were going to eat. So it wasn't like it's, was, ooh, here's your breakfast, come out of the cave and it's ready. You know, so they kind of look at it that way. And so the other thing would be eliminate seed oils in your body. That's high inflammatory. So even sunfl- sunflower seed, canola, rapeseed, grape seed, any seed oil causes inflammation in your body. And most of the fast foods, we don't eat fast food, but for those of you who may be listening or trying to switch over, seed oils are terrible for inflammation in the body. So that's something that you can do naturally to support your health. And the next one would be get sun exposure. And then people will say, I always hear, well, I'm going to get sunburned. Avoid the seed oils and you most likely are not going to get sunburned because it causes that issue in our body.
1: Well, that's really interesting. I've never heard the connection with seed oil and burning. It doesn't surprise me because, you know, all things connected. I have heard that for people who have like, if they're red haired, very fair skin, if they um, take higher doses of vitamin C, they don't burn.
4: Absolutely.
5: Carrot, Carrot oil is really good for that.
1: Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, It can be really challenging to find food prepared food. Um, You know, I'm always on the hunt um, uh, for my family with potato chips, um, you know, and there are some now please don't tell me this is bad. There's some that you can find that are cooked in olive oil. Um, is it is a chip cooked in olive oil? Are you going to tell me that it's because it's processed in a big old factory? It's probably no good.
5: Well, we, you, if you want to have that for a treat, that's okay. Anything good though can be. Yeah. I hear I got kicked out of a Bible study one time because um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and she she'll never have me back after this. But oh, <laughs> like I got kicked out of a Bible study because she said this lady said everything in moderation. They had noticed that I didn't eat their processed snacks. They noticed I didn't eat the I didn't drink the soda. I didn't do any of those things and so she came across the table. I mean, she was like, well we back at anything in moderation?" Well, my reply was, "So does that mean your husband can cheat on you as long as it's in moderation?" And the person who invited me
4: gasp all the air out of the room.
5: And And then the lady across the table, she just goes, that's a very good point. I never thought about it like that. And so I said it respectful. I wasn't disrespectful when I said it, but the entire few months of the small group, she had been, you can have just one bite. You can do this, you can do that. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But for me, I want to honor. It's a mindset for me yeah. because I hear so many times, can't you have a cheat day? I could have a cheat day, but to me, that's a mindset. I want to honor what God has done. And it doesn't mean good, bad, or ugly if you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. But even, even good things, we still want to be moderate with what we take in. And olive oil, if it's cooked, it. Getting back to that is olive oil is not a high temperature cooking oil. Mm -hmm. So it turns rancid and has the opposite effect, even though olive oil is good, if it's cooked at high temperature. So it's going to depend on the temperature that that's cooked. Coconut oil is a high temperature oil. So if it's cooked in coconut oil, then potato chips would be an okay thing to have.
1: Okay. Well, there are some, I just don't happen to like them cooked in the coconut oil, so I'm going to have to, and I've tried making them myself, it's very difficult to make homemade potato chips that are thin and crispy and that just are just blah,
5: so right. I guess I need to get better at it. And <laughs> maybe um, uh, cook them at a lower temperature so it isn't that way.
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah um well thank you so much for that so so we have got reset your circadian rhythms yes you know so that you get all the goodness that happens when you get on this natural cycle practice intermittent fasting to really maximize uh, immune system healing um and detoxifying it's fabulous we've we've had guests on to talk about it and i'm just i'm so excited the whole world needs to get onto this natural rhythm i um I myself tend to stop eating at about seven most nights, and then I don't eat again until noon the next day. Wow. And I I find that the the hardest time is usually because I'm up late often, because I'm in um, I've always kind of done it, I guess, with uh, this advocacy work I do. But I'm three hours ahead of Washington State, where all a lot of my advocates are, and so I'm I'm in a meeting. For them, it's seven. For me, it's ten, and it's like it gets to be eleven thirty, and I'm ready for like my fourth meal of the day. Actually, my second meal of the day because I don't tend to eat a lot of meals anymore. There's not enough room in there <laughs>
4: to do it, but.
1: Um, anyway, so I, that's where I really have to have willpower. It's easy in the morning. It's, it's the evening snacking that's challenging
5: me too, too
0: because
5: for exactly the same reason I'm either doing podcasts or we're having zoom calls, we're planning, you know, those type of things. So it's like, okay, now I'm awake and I should be snacking or eating or everyone else is talking about having dinner and (laughs) so it's like, stop Rebecca.
1: Yeah, it's it's challenging, and um, yeah, intermittent fasting, and then and then occasional longer fasting to do even more good work for your body. The longest I've done has been about forty eight hours, um, and one of our awesome team members right now is on day five of a day five fast. I hope she's
5: doing well. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> Actually, when we first started, first started on this journey with Will, we were he did a complete five day fast. Mm-hmm and he's small, he lost nine pounds, and then people people who come into our clinic, or people that we, we counsel with, they'll say, I just can't do that, well my son was a tennis player, he played a tennis tournament while fasting, and did extremely well on it, so if my 17 year old can do it, so can you, and a lot of people will say, I just can't do that, I travel so much, I do, well I do too, and that's why I don't, I don't really deter from it, because I want to say, if I can do it, you can do it too. And I know it's hard. I know the struggles. These are some things you can do, because if you've lived it, and you've experienced it, then you can come alongside someone and give them encouragement when they're struggling.
1: Exactly. And you know, it comes down to something that American culture has been lacking for a long time, and that's self-discipline. You know we want immediate gratification we don't want delay to anything and um you know there's a reason why a lot of religious cultures for eons have embraced fasting i mean it has both physical and emotional um uh, benefits i would say you know learning how to have that control of self that self-discipline response self-responsibility it can be very challenging. So I do encourage it. Bob, have you ever, have you jumped on the intermittent fasting bandwagon? I know we've talked about it a lot in our meetings.
2: I did a couple of years ago, unrelated to any other thing, just trying to get healthy. And I would, I would do, uh, there's the fast diet, I think, where you do low calorie twice, two days a week, really low mm-hmm. calorie. And, uh, I, I did that as a, as a child, we grew up with that kind of a, a diet culture in my family. So yeah. yes, we had Dr. Paul Bragg's book floating around our house and two day fast, five day fast. I made the two day fast a long time ago. Mm-hmm. and It was painful for me. I, I played tennis as well. There's no way I think I could go <laughs> through a tennis tournament with a low calorie, zero calorie environment. Anyway,
5: uh, We got he The three on day three to me is if I get to day three, it's and I don't know why, but it's like if I make it to day three, then it's e- it's easier if I get to day three. And I don't know if the hunger switch just turns off, or if I feel like I'm so invested in it I can't go back now. But it's like if I make it to day three. There's something about that day for me personally that if I make it to day three, I'm good. That's yeah. That's
1: that's encouraging to know. And what helps me like on my normal intermittent fasting days when i get hungry in the evenings i just imagine a bunch of pac-men running around my immune system gobbling up um things that need to be gobbled up and and doing repair work and then it makes me so happy that i'm putting my body into this repair mode it gives me that strength you know to, to push through and distract myself and um you know and you can drink coffee and tea and water, you know, when you're on um, on a fast. So then, you know, you can just try and just have that little ritual of a hot cup of tea that at least you feel like you're going through it. And um, so, okay, so we've got reset your circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting. Um, the third thing I forgot already. Eliminate seed oils. Eliminate seed oils. Begin to look at all your labels and what you're cooking with and what's in your cupboard. There's lots of information out there on the internet about seed oils and what to replace them with the good healthy fats because you need those good healthy fats for cell repair. And the fourth thing was
4: get
5: outside,
1: Have get some
4: outside.
1: yeah, very good. get outside. and if you've eliminated seed oils and you get enough vitamin C, Rebecca, um, believes that, or doesn't believe, but her research has shown her it will reduce your risk of getting sunburned. But of course, you know, you don't want to be laying for three hours in the sun between (laughs) noon and 3 PM. You know, I mean, you're asking for it then. So, you know, use some common sense and wear a hat, but do have some bare skin for, you don't need a lot, right? Um, Minutes. For the vitamin D production. And then after that 15 minutes of really good sun exposure, then give yourself a little shade, but still be out there because it's the eyeballs taking in the sun that's
5: doing magic in the brain, right? (laughs) You're grounding. Take your shoes off. Get some (gasps) natural earth frequencies. Get a little bit of sun. Mm -hmm. Just if I just challenge you, go outside, put your bare feet on the ground, not concrete ground and see if you can feel it. Just close your eyes. See if you can feel it in your knees. See if you can feel it in your chest. And when I say feel it, it feels different for everyone, but you have to turn off the world to be able to get there, but I can feel it in my knees. It's like, and I can't describe the feeling, but it's like maybe a little pulsing. Um, and it took me a while to get to that point. So it's not like for some, this is amazing. I feel it in my knees. No, you have to, <laughs> you have to be patient with yourself, your body, everything that we're doing and undoing is a process because for us, there was a lot of undoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And, and be patient with
1: yourself. I mean, Work on that self-discipline, and the life changes. Be forgiving of yourself, but trust that you've got the strength to do it. And and it takes time for the to really feel these. It is hard to give up a lot of what modern life says we should be doing and how we should be doing it and and habits. Um, and Bob, you know when she's talking about um grounding and go out there and stand barefoot in the grass. It reminds me. Do you remember two thousand nineteen? and measles, and the bad legislative session we had, um, I was sitting with a naturopath, and we were preparing to go see a senator that was really critical, who who was open-minded, a Democratic senator who was on the fence, understanding risks, and really crucial um, in what was going on. And I was my brain was circulating. I had so much information, so many studies. I couldn't think straight. I just, because it was so important and I didn't want to blow it. I got 10 minutes to make a good point and I couldn't think. And so the naturopath said, Bernadette, go outside, find a patch of grass, take off your socks and shoes and, and, and stand in the grass. So I did. I did. I, I I walked outside. I kind of crossed the street in this little neighborhood behind the Capitol. I took off my socks and shoes and I stood in the grass and I just breathed and I calmed down. It was wonderful. The people, I don't know what the neighbors thought when they were looking out their windows at this woman standing in the grass, but it worked. And I did was the, able to take that meeting from a calm place.
2: So. Did the naturopath call it grounding? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. They knew the whole science behind the, the grounding and getting in touch with the earth. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. We yeah.
5: Have, we have a PEMF bed, a pulsed electric magnetic frequency bed. And I don't mean like a Beamer mat or the PEMF mats that you see that are a bit available for home use. This is a professional unit that is an entire bed that does grounding for your entire body. It helps with the detox process. And, you know, just like we charge our cell phones, our cells need charging from the concrete jungle that we live in. And we had, there was a professional golf tournament in our area and they, the professional golfer sought us out just to use that on a daily basis every day of their tournament.
1: Wow. You know, Athletes often are the first to discover these amazing things. They're always trying to improve performance. So this grounding thing, we know that hyperbaric they use, right? Yes. And and I'm thinking beet juice. I mean, athletes know that beet juice improves your body's your your blood performance and all, you know, I don't know the language behind that, but beets are so good for you. <laughs> it improves your nitric oxide. That, yes. Nitric <laughs> oxide helps um, fight SARS-CoV-2, right?
5: Yes, it does oxygenate your cells naturally because if you have, and as we age, nitric oxide levels go naturally go down like so many other things. So all those things, you know, the body is just designed beautifully. We just robbed it for convenience.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. So tell us then, you've given us four free things and I bless you for that. Four free things all our viewers and listeners can do to improve their health. And then if they want to take it a step further, they're dealing with something more complicated. What sort of things like do you have in your clinic
5: that are available to take things up a notch? Well, we have the pulsed electric magnetic frequency bed. That's a professional bed that we have that we talked about. We do ozone therapy. We do extracorporeal ozone oxygenation, and what it does. We're only the fifth clinic in the U.S. that has it. It actually you draw the blood, you start an IV, um, and then the doc, it goes through a the blood comes out. It goes through a filter, so it's like a dialysis filter. It traps different viruses, different toxins, pathogens, lipids, pro the bad proteins, viruses, mold so heavy metals and then the the blood is exposed to ozone then once the blood is ozonated it actually goes through a a machine that exposes it to every lot spectrum so technically it it sanitizes the blood and then it goes in through the other arm what comes out looks like murky pond water only red and then what comes back into what's going back into the body looks like Caribbean blood so it's so clear there's not lumpy cholesterol in there all of those things so it's removing those things through the filter exposing it and it's not putting that heavy burden back into your body it's taking a lot of that the things that could cause you a Hertzheimer effect out before it puts it back in your system What's the Herzheimer effect? That is a detox effect. So you could have a reaction because a lot of times you will go someplace and you'll hear just, you know, the average person will say, I just need to feel like I need to do a liver detox or I just need to do a detox. If your body's not ready to do a detox, let's say your liver is congested and you try to start doing these detoxes and your eliminatory organs cannot get rid of it fast enough you're just recirculating those bad toxins back through your body and you'll start feeling terrible. Now, a little bit of that is okay, but if your body's not prepped, just like planting a garden. So if your soil is not healthy and your soil's not ready to receive the seeds you plant in it, it's not going to grow healthy plants. So we don't need to be just haphazardly going down to the drugstore and buying a liver detox or buying something online that's going to detox us that could actually make us feel worse. Mm -hmm. it's better to do a guided detox and to do it gently, not harshly, and prepare the body and the soil per se in the body so that your body can handle it.
1: Wow, that is really exciting technology. And what you're talking about, Bob, do you remember, I've had her on the show, and I'm so bad at remembering names off the top of my head. She spoke to us at that great gathering that you organized for us, an Informed Choice Washington gathering, and she had that image of the funnel. And she talked about the fact that, you know, if you're gonna detox the body, and like your liver and kidneys are down here at the bottom of the funnel, and you you can't start up here. You have to make sure that the bottom of the funnel is open. <laughs> <Before my> you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I okay. No, I, I apologize if if she's listening that I have forgotten your name. I'm gonna am going
2: Sarah Dibel. Sarah, Sarah Dibel.
1: Dibel, yes, thank you, thank you. You are In awesome. The Clark
2: County area.
1: Yeah, I love my people, they're my That's memory nice. for me. Gotta have her on again. Yeah. So that's that's really only five places in the nation that you know of so
5: far. Yes, is doing them consistently in Europe, and it is an upgrade from ten uh, pass ozone because it treat, it treats the entire blood system. So we do that. We do stem cells from your own body. We do PRP that was developed. PRP is available at lots of places. I don't but, know what that is. Uh, Platelet rich plasma probably 70 to 80 percent of the people that we see end up not having to have joint surgery um if they have our design of platelet-rich plasma and that's proprietary information that we only use at our clinic and that was developed we do of course we do the ivs that are natural all of our ivs are preservative free corn free no synthetics uh we just as pure as we can get them. So the body can absorb them. Of course we do red light therapy, halo therapy. We do uh, sauna. What's halo
1: therapy? Now you're naming things that I don't know. What's halo, halo therapy? therapy?
5: Salt therapy. So it's very good for the lungs. It's very good for the skin. Uh, we can typically get rid of uh, acne without any, uh, any negative side effects. It's all natural. We use ozone treatments for the face facial for skin issues, for hair regrowth, for regeneration of the skin. There's just, you know, so much that's there. We do bioscans. We do bioscans remotely. So anywhere in the we do lots of missionaries with bioscans. It helps get to the root cause. We do it with a hair sample or a DNA sample of some sort. And it tests for imbalances in the body. Those are top some of the types of things that we do.
1: That's wonderful.
5: That sounds like some
1: of the stuff that Sarah Dival does. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I love that. You know, this is real healing. And using modern technology to enhance and help the body what it does, as opposed to, you know, so much of Western medicine out there is all symptom address. Just squash the symptom and let's ignore um all the adverse
5: reactions that go with it. Cause we got a medicine for that too. Don't you know that oh, we we do do. <laughs> if they take one medicine ends up having three medicines, two of which are for the side effects of the first medicine. So, you know, that's just really sad. And, and we do a lot of vaccine injury. We were doing vaccine injury prior But since COVID-19, we're seeing a lot of people come away from traditional medicine because they took the vaccine or they were coerced into the vaccine and they're seeing all kinds of issues. So we're now we're now dealing with therapies for COVID. We're dealing with therapies for long COVID. We're dealing with therapies for vaccine injuries for the vaccine for COVID. So there, there are lots of those things. But one of the probably other than seeing my child healed and the hope that came with that. One of the ones that sticks out for the hardest, best job ever is seeing an 8-year-old autistic young man who was violent and nonverbal, mm. hearing his mother share her testimony of him saying mommy for the first time. Oh, So, you know, those are just things that makes it the hardest, best job ever.
1: Mm-hmm. I got the chills when you said that, you know. Uh, for years, you know, a lot of people in our community, um, you know, they they're trying so hard to heal their children who've been injured, and these these little moments are such so miraculous and such joy. I think only somebody who's sort of lived it and experienced it can truly understand what that
5: is like. That is that's fantastic. Good yeah. for you. Read the emails and you get emails. The first four people that we treated at our clinic were four other children through uh, that we treated through our foundation that experienced alopecia universalis like wheel did. Mm. First four patients in our clinic when it opened, it only seemed the best way to honor it was mm-hmm. to go to the foundation and treat those children. And yeah, you know, that was such a blessing. It was so hard, and it's such a blessing. And if I watch the video on our website, I still cry. Um, you know, it's just. And then you read the emails. You get the emails from veterans who have PTSD, or moms who are go, moms or dads who are going through this with their children. And the empathy. You know, I feel it in my stomach every single time I read that email. Mm-hmm. Unlive what you've lived. And the experience you sympathize with that parent, you want to cry. And that's our job. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And, you know, sometimes even if you don't have answers, just to join arms with them and tell them there's hope is the best you can do. You know, it's just to love them and love them well. That is so amazing. Yeah. Thank you so
1: much for your good work. This is this is wonderful, this journey you're on. Um, where, <clears throat> and, and Bob jump in here at any time, you know, how may I always dominate here. Um, what differences are you seeing in treating um, COVID-19 shot injuries versus the techniques that you had developed to help with
5: um, other vaccine injury prior to this new platform being developed? That we are seeing uh, a lot of cancers reactivated. We're seeing a lot of mental mental brain fog, can't get over it. We're seeing blood clots, fibrous clots. Uh, we're seeing, you know, otherwise healthy people not being able to breathe, lung issues. And, of course, it has nothing to do with the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, it has nothing to do with that. They go Wait, you mean that their their traditional doctors are yeah. telling them that. Okay. Doctors, they've run the gamut yeah. of you're just getting older, or this runs in your family. You know, any number of try this medicine or try that medicine. And people know they're not losing their minds. They know that something is truly wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what it is, and they don't want to think that. What a doctor gave them would make them have a side effect. But, you know, we're seeing fertility issues. We're seeing um, reproductive organ issues in men. We're just skin rashes, ulcers, heart palpitations, young athletes just getting sick, joints and aches and pains, all kinds of autoimmune issues. So are you
1: getting any of those... Cases in individuals who
5: did not get a COVID shot? We are seeing occasionally long COVID will have microclots.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that spike protein, there's a brand new study out um, on the spike protein where they have figured out, you know, they continue to find out mechanisms of injury, whether it's from uh, wild infection with this genetically modified virus. Um, or the shot, but uh, it seems to be not seems it is much more um, prevalent in those who got the shot than those who you know got it the other way. The 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 when you got it the wild one, your body is more able to shut down that spike protein from the shot. The spike protein production continues and lingers much longer because it, it that spike protein that your body makes is genetically altered to be stable, which is different than the one that was altered in the
5: lab and and released as, you know, SARS-CoV-2. Anyway. And we're seeing, we see the microclots in long COVID, uh, brain fog, hair loss, uh, some of those things that you would, some of those things you would see with any virus. Because if your body gets sick enough, you're going to have hair loss or rashes because it's trying to detox and not to diminish it in any way because it's still very real to that person. Mm-hmm. But some of those things you s- are things that you see in long COVID that mm-hmm. you also see in COVID vaccine injury.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to treat it all, right? Um, yeah,
5: whether want- it. our job is to help, right? Regardless of what happened to get you there. Yeah. I mean, look, if I, if I had been denied help, or, you know, or any of those people that have been treated at our clinic, just because they made a decision that we don't agree with or that I was uninformed and didn't know, I wouldn't want that for my child. It's the golden rule. The, yeah, and, you know, I, I did a bad job of repeating your name, Rebecca Rogers,
1: of the <laughs> Sparrow Clinic. I'm going to go ahead and share now your website. I know... Um, did I find it here? There we go. Um, that's beautiful, clean, calm. I love that. The water drops on a leaf, a natural first approach. And this is, let's see, make sure I get it. Sparrowclinic.com. They can get more information. Now
5: you're in Alabama. Do you have any locations in any other States? Not right now. We're, uh, we're in the process. Um, we're in the process of opening clinics. We do do some things. Uh, we like the BioScan. We mm-hmm. can do that across state lines. We can do that anywhere in the world. In fact, during COVID, we developed our own line of vitamin C. That's our formulation that we could not that we could not get anywhere else. And the, I, I'll give you a bottle if you can tell me. I'll give you a bottle anyway. But I'll <laughs> you a bottle if you can guess the furthest place that we shipped it to. Oh. Are you right now? Now,
1: yes. I don't know. What's the furthest place across the globe from Alabama?
5: Um New Zealand? Hong Kong. And we ship New Zealand. We shipped them to Australia. So it was just a great, great, it's an absorbable whole food organic food source with five ingredients in it. And taking a teaspoon a day. Uh, twice a day is almost the equivalent in blood plasma is getting an 18,000 milligram IV.
1: Oh my goodness. That is very exciting. So can they find out about that vitamin C and buy it from your sparrow They can
5: go to the store and you get free shipping.
1: Okay. Excellent. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, Rebecca, last words. We've got like one minute. Um, What do you last words?
5: (laughs) Words is, Never, ever give up hope. There's always hope. And don't beat yourself up. If you have mom or dad guilt, let it go. It's so hard. But as my grandmother said, do what you know is best until you know is better. And if you need someone to come along and walk that journey with you, whether you live in Alabama or not, reach out to us and we will love you well and walk that journey with you
1: oh bless you rebecca thank you so much for being on and inform uh life radio um on 11:50 a.m kknw and chd tv and bob Reynolds, always a pleasure to spend time with you my friend uh we'll be back next week everybody have a great weekend um take care and god bless thank you guys god
2: bless thank you
3: if you're looking for a publication that delivers takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom loving truth telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens to subscribe, go to the flame Hi,
4: I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit children's health defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today.
0: Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you.